Hi, everybody. Welcome to Imperfect Marriage. We are TJ and Jen Butler, and our mission is to provide practical biblical help that can give couples hope, not for a perfect marriage, but for a marriage that is full of love, joy, purpose, and fun. We're so excited to be on this adventure with you, and we're so glad you chose to join us today. If you find this podcast helpful or know of someone else who would, please consider subscribing and sharing. In today's episode, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Uh, If you've listened to our previous podcast or watched us on YouTube, you know that typically Jen joins me, uh, but today I'll be flying solo. And the reason for that is that uh, we're going to start a, uh, we'll end up being a multi-part series on marriage and mental health. Uh, I've had my own struggles uh, with mental health and I just wanted to uh, use today as kind of a starting point and a, and a launching point as we head into this, uh, who knows how many how many episodes it may be. But uh, I just wanted to kind of catch you guys up on where we are, what we've dealt with. Um, and we know that, that mental health is a big thing. We know that it can have an impact on your marriage and all relationships for that matter. Uh, so today as we dive in, uh, I'm just going to talk about my story, uh, my struggle, where I've been, and uh, how God has seen us through it. So hopefully you'll enjoy, and we will catch back up with you at the end of the podcast. As with everything we do at Imperfect Marriage, uh, our goal is just to be real. Our goal is to be honest, to be vulnerable, transparent, um, because that's where you'll find real value. I don't think there's anything valuable in putting on a mask and, and trying to pretend like things uh, are better than they are. That's why we call our, our podcast Imperfect Marriage, um, because we are imperfect people who struggle with real things, uh, just like everybody else does. And though God has blessed us with a good marriage, we are quick to recognize that the only reason that's true is because he's at the center of it. Uh, and that's even something that we struggle to do on a regular basis. So I'm going to jump right in uh, because I know this is probably already going to be a little bit lengthy. Uh, so why? Why would we choose to tackle the issue of mental health and marriage? First thing is it's a big deal. Uh, statistics estimate that about one in four adults in America struggle with a diagnosable mental health condition. And this time of year, uh, you may be listening to this in the future, but uh, right now it's uh, November 29th of 2021. And uh, we know this time of year, the holiday season can be a season that for a lot of people while they're celebrating and doing all the fun stuff that goes along with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and all that, uh, this time of year can be uh, really dark and and really depressing for people, uh, and we know that a lot of people struggle with with depression this time of year. Whether it's because of a loss of a lo- loss of a loved one who's not with us anymore, uh, whether it's just because maybe they can't afford to do the things that they would like to do over this this uh, Christmas season. Another reason I chose or we chose to address this now is because uh, back in October, uh, one of my best friends, who's a teacher at a high school here where we live. Uh, was telling me about one of his students uh, who had to to be Baker acted because of some mental health issues that he struggles with. And he thought he had turned a corner and kind of had this little relapse and um, all these things kind of culminating to make me realize that, man, this is something that's still a big deal and it still needs to be talked about. And I think the more of us that are willing to talk about mental health, he has placed this burden on me whenever I've had, ever, I have the opportunity to share in my struggles and just to be open with people. Um, God has called me to do that. So that's something we want to do. Uh, in my previous job, I was a, uh, I spoke and I gave sermons at the church that I worked for. Um, and I was able and fortunate enough to have the support of the, the lead pastor there to be able to share some of my story. Um, but I've never had time 
to tell the whole story. And I'm hoping to be able to do that today just so that uh, we can fill in any gaps. Uh, For those of you who've heard part of my story before, a lot of it will be repeats, but I'm sure for anybody listening, there will be some things that you didn't know. Um, Maybe even people as close to me as my parents, there may be some stuff that you didn't know before uh, that hopefully I can share. And uh, uh, the goal is to provide people with help and hope and encouragement that just because you struggle with something doesn't make you any less of a person. It doesn't make you any uh, less capable of being used by God to do great things. Um, And it doesn't mean that you are going to be like that forever or that um, things will never get better. I think, you you know, we need to know that there is hope out there. Uh, That's one of the best ways to combat uh, anxiety, depression and things like that. So early in my childhood, um, my earliest memories of, of, of childhood, I always remember being kind of a nervous kid, a scared kid. Uh, there'd be things that would frighten me, maybe more than they would frighten other kids. Like I was, I was in some ways the typical scared of the scared of the dark, scared of the monsters in the closet. Um, you know, as I got older, it was scared of you know somebody robbing our family or breaking into the house. I mean, I would, uh, as a little kid, you know, eight nine years old, I remember you know, constantly making sure all the doors were locked before we went to bed. I remember being scared to death if my parents fell asleep before I did and I was the only one awake in the house because uh, I just thought something bad was going to happen or somebody was going to try to come in. And, um, you know, that's that's terrifying for a kid, uh, a young kid. Um, I remember being scared to death to go to like gas stations because, you know, I had seen on the news or on episodes of Rescue 911 or whatever. That's a throwback kind of dating myself there, Rescue 911, huh? But uh, of incidents where bad things would happen at gas stations. So, I mean, I remember throwing full on crying, snot dripping out of my nose, temper tantrums because we had to stop and get gas. And I'd beg my mom, please take me home. Take me home before you go to the gas station. I don't want to go there. Something bad's going to happen. Uh, so I remember having these, you know, these fears as a kid, and, you know, and obviously the irrational fears. But, uh, you know, as you get older, um, you realize, oh, you know, I can go get gas. Nothing bad's going to happen. But the truth of the matter is just because you're not scared of the monster in the closet anymore or something bad happening at the gas station, fears just grow with you, um, especially irrational fears. Um, so as I moved into, you know, my high school age, my high school years, um, you know, I had the typical fears that every high school kid has, like fears of not being included, fears of being left out, fears of, of not being liked. I mean, everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to fit in. Um, my senior year of high school, the very beginning of my senior year of high school, probably, you know, September or so of my senior year. So just shortly into that, that school year. Um, you know, I was, I was never the kind of kid that like was heavy into drugs and alcohol and that kind of stuff, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't do a little bit of experimenting, right? And so I remember this one particular Friday evening, you know, I got off of work. I was a pizza delivery guy, right? And I got off of work late. All my friends were at one of my uh, buddy's house and we always liked to hang out there because there were no parents there most of the time. So 10 o'clock at night, I go there, all my friends are there, everybody's hanging out and, uh, and they're smoking marijuana, right? And so wasn't the first time I had tried smoking marijuana, um, but I would, again, I didn't do it regularly. Only a hand, I mean, I could count on one hand how many times I had done it in my whole life um, and never really enjoyed it. 
Um, but for this, whatever reason, this particular night, you know, we smoked and then they decided that they were going to go somewhere else, maybe go to a party. I don't even remember now where they were going. Um, but I was always, you know, this is probably part of, part of my anxiety anyway. Right. I was always a little bit paranoid. Like if I did this, right. Like I knew that my parents would kill me if they found out. So the last thing I was going to do was leave and go out in public where somebody could see me, uh, much less get behind the wheel of my car and, and God forbid, get in a car accident and, you know, find out my, have my parents find out that I was, you know, high or whatever. Uh, I wasn't going to do that. So I decided to stay home. Right. And they all left. So now I'm at my friend's house all by myself. By this time, it's probably, I don't know, 11, maybe creeping up towards midnight uh, on a Friday night. And so I'm by myself in the house. And I just remember all of a sudden, like starting to freak out. And I didn't know what was going on. My heart started thumping, racing, beating a million miles an hour. I I literally could see my chest moving up and down because my heart was beating so hard. Um, My palms started sweating like crazy. I felt like dizzy. And again, this wasn't the first time I had had ever smoked weed. And... uh, but this was the first time I felt like this. So I was convinced that the weed was laced with something. There was something else in it that was making me feel this way. Uh, I remember closing my mouth to try to swallow and uh, my mouth just like filling with like foam, not regular saliva, but like foamy saliva. Um, And I just was freaking out. My thoughts just started going a million miles an hour. Uh, I tried taking a shower to calm myself down. Um, thought I was kind of getting myself under control. But man, after I got out of the shower and sat there for another, I don't know, it felt like forever, but it may have only been a couple minutes. I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here on the couch in in my friend's house. And they're going to come home and they're going to find me dead on the couch. Uh, So I was like, knowing full well that I was going to, my parents were going to find out. I was like, I got to call. I got to call 911. I got to get an ambulance here because if not, something really bad is going to happen. So I called 911. I told them the story. The dispatcher was, you know, trying to calm me down, uh, trying to, you know, just ease my mind a little bit. They sent the the paramedics, the EMTs. They got there. They put me in the ambulance. Um, and now looking back again, I was 17 years old. Looking back, I don't know how much of what the, the EMTs said to me was legit or how much they were just trying to scare me into never, never doing drugs again. Um, but they're like, you know, your heart rate is, is, you know, close to 180, 200 beats a minute. Um, if you hadn't called us, your heart literally could have exploded. And so now I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God I called, but I'm still freaking out. Cause I don't know, like, am I safe just now because I'm in the ambulance or is there, is this going to be one of those stories where, Hey, we did all we could, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Butler, but he died on the way to the hospital. So I'm still freaking out. I get to the hospital that night. The doctors and nurses, they, they calm me down. They, I'm sure they gave me some kind of you know, sedative to calm me down a little bit and get my heart rate slowed down. Ran all kinds of tests, uh, toxicology reports and everything, and it was just marijuana. That's, that's all it was. Um, I remember them that night telling me, hey, it's a good thing you're a minor because if you were 18 right now, uh, it wouldn't just be doctors in here talking to you. It would be police officers as well. Uh, and so... From that point forward, though, I remember just being scared to death that I was going to die. Like I had never felt looking back now. I know that that was my first true panic attack. Um, I don't I don't know if the marijuana had anything to do with it other than being the catalyst for it. But I was freaking out and uh, I was worried that it was going to happen again. 
Uh, from that day forward, by the way, that was 2002. Uh, I haven't touched drugs or alcohol aside from the champagne toast at our wedding uh, since that day. Just something that, you know, you never forget an experience like. So moving forward, uh, the rest of that school year goes by. Um, you know, you kind of deal with the fallout of like, uh, you're, you're the idiot who called the ambulance on yourself, um, because you just smoked some weed and you freaked out. Um, but moving forward, you know, I get through the senior, my senior year caused a little bit of a problem uh, and a little bit of a rift by, by, uh, if I'm being honest between my friends and I, because, um, they still, you know, were partiers. They still were going and doing their thing. And, uh, I was not about to touch drugs or alcohol anymore. So they're kind of created a little bit of a distance between us. And, you know, I always say, you know, I look back on my senior year and I was like, man, it just, that wasn't it for me. My senior year was not my best year of school by any means, which is, you know, kind of sad. Cause you look at it as like, man, that's supposed to be one of the best years of your, your school life. And, um, for me, it was, it was not, it was not. Uh, and I know a lot of it had to do with the anxiety that was produced from that, that incident. Uh, so I get through high school, graduate and get ready for my freshman year of college. Uh, now the summer between my, uh, senior year of high school, and my freshman year of college, I got into a really bad sleep pattern where I was staying up. I would literally stay up all night. Um, and it just, I don't know. I don't even remember exactly how it started. It probably video games, playing Madden all night with some friends. But then, you know, when they would go back to their houses and go to sleep, like I would still be up and I would just, you know, when you're up and you're by yourself, your mind starts to wander, starts to race. And that, that night in the ambulance was such a traumatic experience for me. You know, that would come back, especially in the middle of the night when nobody else is up and you're by yourself. Right. So I got into this really bad sleep pattern, staying up till six, seven o'clock in the morning and then falling asleep because I was just so physically exhausted and not being able to wake up until two or three in the afternoon. And you can't live a normal existence like that. Here I am trying to enroll in classes as a, as a college freshman. And, uh, I can't even schedule classes because my sleep schedule is so off. And, uh, I don't even remember how many months that went on for, but I remember the first day of classes. I remember telling my mom, like, I, I can't go. Like, I was scared to drive. I'm like, something's going to happen. Like, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like something bad's going to happen. I remember having another incident um, on the way home one night. Uh, we went to a Rays game down in, in Tampa or in St. Pete, and we were on our way home. We stopped at a drive through and on the way home, I just I had another panic attack, and I didn't know what it was, so I drove myself to the, mir- the emergency room that night. They did all kinds of testing on me. Is there anything wrong? Because at this point, there, you know, in this, with this incident, there, was no, there were no drugs involved, so I knew it wasn't that. So now I'm just thinking, what the heck is going on? I must have a heart condition. That's why my heart is beating so fast. There must be something wrong with me you know, health-wise. So I had uh, all kinds of tests run on me. They were even going to do a, uh, a catheter style like surgery, like a scope to see what was wrong with my heart. Is there something going on? But with all the testing they did, they couldn't find anything wrong. I was healthy. My heart worked fine. All my levels were fine. And looking back now, I know that it was just, and I hate to say the word just as to minimize it, but it was anxiety. It was panic attacks. Um, but I didn't know that. And for some reason, none of the medical professionals even, uh, you know, thought to tell me that that's, that's what it could be. So I'm just thinking, you know, there, there must be a health issue. Somebody's not, you know, they're not finding it. I'm going to end up dying of a heart attack because they're missing something. Um, 
and I would just, you know, get myself and probably three or four times ended up driving myself to the emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack or that something was going to happen with my heart when it was, it was anxiety all along. So I get through that stage, right? My first semester of college was kind of a wash. There were a lot, a lot of other issues going on. Um, that, that would be another topic for another podcast. Um, but there were a lot of other issues there. So I get through, right? I think I only got maybe three credit hours done my first semester of college. Um, I was able to do an online course and then maybe one course in person. So I uh, just didn't, didn't want to leave the house much uh, because of th- this, this anxiety, this fear that something was going to happen with me or I was going to be driving my car and pass out and end up in a ditch somewhere. Uh, so I get through that, right? Then coincidentally, right after that is when I met Jen. And things kind of turned around. She she really gave me something to put all my attention and focus on. And uh, man, it was awesome. Like, I felt like I was alive again. I felt like I, I, I was not fearful. I was able to go out of the house. Um, we were able to enroll in classes together. You know, she, she was taking dual enrollment classes. So we would, you know, took some of the same classes. And man, she, she just gave me kind of a safe place. Uh, and that was great. The next semester... I enrolled in classes. I moved in with some of my buddies from high school and I, uh, I moved down to Tampa and enrolled in some classes at Hillsborough Community College and was fine the whole semester, right? Like everything was great. I was not, not only was I not afraid to leave home, I was living away from my home, away from my parents, an hour away, doing great. Everything was fine. Jen and I were great. I would come back and see her on the weekends. Uh, it was awesome, right? And I don't remember at what point during that semester... Um, but it's probably three quarters of the way through somewhere around there. I'm sitting in my intro to psychology class and I had loved the class up until this point. And the instructor started showing us videos of people who struggle with mental illness, uh, like severe mental illness, like, uh, you know, personality disorders and schizophrenia and things like that. Uh, and to give you a little background, I grew up kind of seeing firsthand some of these mental illnesses. It, it, It ran pretty strong. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, uh, my aunt, um, who who my dad, God bless him, did everything he could to, to take care of her, brought her to our house on the weekends when we were little kids. But watching her like, you know, as insensitive as you can be when you're a little kid, we're like, she's crazy. Oh my gosh, Aunt Mary, she's crazy. Um, and at a time, almost kind of having fun with it, like thinking it was a joke. Um, but as I was sitting there that day in the intro to psychology class, watching videos of these people, uh, struggling with these mental illness and these delusions and hallucinations and things. All I can remember is like the room almost going black around me. And I had this overwhelming fear of like, that's going to be you. Like it's in your family. It's in your blood. This is, this is what you're destined for. Um, and I had a straight up like full fledged panic attack in the middle of class. Um, Luckily, I care too much about what people think to like let it show. Uh, so nobody around me knew it, but I was on the inside. I was just dying, um, so scared. My hands. I mean, even as I'm talking about it now, like I could almost feel the fear. Uh, this overwhelming. It's it's not like fear of like, oh, I'm scared to go on that roller coaster. It's like if you've ever experienced a panic attack, you know, it's this overwhelming, gripping fear that you just feel like you either need to run or or bury your head in the sand and it, you just want it to stop. And from that point forward, that set off about a, a six month period where I was 
again, uh, not quite as bad as I was before in terms of leaving the house or whatever. I was able to, to get out and do things. I was still able to hold down a job and go to classes and all that. Um, but I was scared to death every day that I woke up. I, I was, I would think, is this the day I lose my mind? Is this the day I go crazy? Is this the day I end up like my aunt Mary, uh, where they're going to have to put me in some kind of home and I'm just going to have to be heavily medicated. Um, when is it coming? I know in my mind, it wasn't a matter of if it was just a matter of when. And it was so scary because again, I've got this great relationship with this girl that I'm dating, right? You know, God bless Jen. She's stuck with me through the whole thing. Right. But I got this great relationship with her and I know my plans are to marry her and have a family with her. But I'm thinking to myself, I I don't even know if it's fair to ask her to be with me because I'm going to go crazy at some point. And then what, what is she going to do? Um, so for about six months, I was going through this. And I remember at some point in the middle of that six months, uh, up late at night because I couldn't sleep and my mind was racing, I saw this infomercial and it was people talking about exactly what I had been going through. And it's the first time, I thought I was totally alone. I thought I was the only one in the whole world uh, that, that struggled with you know, the heart palpitations and the sweaty palms and the dizziness and the shortness of breath and the just freaking out and not knowing you can't even put your finger on why you're so scared, but you're, you're scared to death. And, um, and it was this, this infomercial for this program called attacking anxiety and depression. I just remember almost instinctively just picking up the phone and calling and ordering this program, which was back then it was (laughs) cassette tapes and a workbook. And so it came in the mail and I, just reading through it, reading through some testimonials, reading through some other people, it made me feel so much better to know that I wasn't alone. And I wish I could tell you that I finished that whole program, um, but it was almost like this magic bullet, this this magic pill that I, you know, I, I, I did the first couple chapters and it was like the anxiety and the depression just lifted almost immediately. Uh, and I say anxiety and depression. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a minute. I was never willing to admit until fairly recently uh, that depression was in the mix uh, because that sounded like anxiety almost sounded like it was that that was a mild thing. Like I wouldn't even have classified it as a mental illness or, or a mental health condition. But depression was like, oh my gosh, depression's serious. Like people who have depression kill themselves. So I, I'm not even going to admit that I could struggle with depression. But the, this weight of the anxiety and the panic attacks just lifted immediately shortly after I got that program. And it was, it was great. Again, I felt like I was alive again. Um, I felt like I could breathe. I felt like I could function. Um, and I went, you know, went on with life, ended up getting my degree. Uh, Jen and I ended up getting engaged, getting married. And for the better part of 10 years, I was almost untouched by anxiety. Uh, and it was amazing, you know, and when it's not that we didn't have anything in our lives to be anxious about, there were a lot of things that had happened in our lives, but for whatever reason, I, I was in a good place and, and felt good. And that's the, uh, the unfortunate part about anxiety and depression, things like that. Sometimes they, sometimes you can pinpoint the triggers and what brings them on. And sometimes you can't, sometimes they just, it just comes in waves and, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know, there's nothing you could have done differently. It just comes. I, I wish I had a better explanation than that. Uh, so if, again, for the better part of 10 years, almost untouched by anxiety. So then about 2016, uh, I was playing flag football, which is one of my passions, one of my hobbies. I love playing flag football. Uh, shout out to all my buddies who, who play with me. Um, I was playing flag football, right? It's supposed to be non-contact. And uh, I'm going to pull this guy's flag. 
and a big guy, big, strong, muscular guy, fast guy. And I break down to pull his flag, right? Like I square up, I'm going to just pull his flag and he lowers his shoulder. Uh, and I've talked to him about this since, by the way, and I know it wasn't intentional, but, uh, at the time I thought it was, uh, he lowers his shoulder and it's 230 pounds of solid muscle slams right into my chest and I fall back and my head, I don't remember if my head hit the ground or if I just got whiplash or whatever, but I, I, long story short, I ended up with a concussion, which was no big deal, right? Like people get concussions all the time. I went and got an MRI just to make sure there's everything was okay. I was like, oh, no big deal. I'll get over it. About a week or two after I had the concussion, right? And I was recovering from this. I remember sitting in my office at work. I was a PE teacher at this time. Uh, and on my planning period, sitting in my office, I was watching ESPN and a story came on, a report came on about, this was right around the time the movie Concussion with Will Smith came out. And it was about all these, you know, former NFL players and athletes who ended up, you know, doing horrible things, whether it was hurting other people or committing suicide um, or going crazy because of CTE as a result of concussions. And it was, took me right back to that classroom. That's intro to psychology classroom. When I was in college, the room went dark around me. And in one split second, I went from being fine on the road to recovery from from a concussion, not even thinking twice about it to, oh my gosh, that's going to be me. That's going to, I'm going to be one of these guys. I got a concussion. All these guys had concussions. Junior Seau, you know, all pro hall of fame, NFL linebacker. He killed himself he, he, because he had a you know concussion and CTE and this, and I'm probably going to have CTE. And, um, what if I do something horrible? And I remember at that point, the overwhelming fear for me and if you know me, right, like I'm one of the most passive people on the planet. Like I've thrown one punch in my entire life and that was to, to defend one of my friends who kind of got, you know, sucker punched. Uh, like I'm just not a violent person. Um, but my mind went to this idea of like, you're going to end up hurting somebody someday. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt somebody. I didn't want to, like I wasn't suicidal. Like I want to hurt myself. I, but it was like, you're going to lose all control. You're going to have no choice because you got a concussion. You're going to get CTE. You're going to hurt somebody. You're going to hurt yourself. And there was no amount of logic or reasoning. And at the time I knew, and that's also the thing about anxiety, you know, it's irrational, even while you're experiencing it, you know, even while you're having a panic attack that it's irrational a lot of times, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. And so this, that, that day triggered a three year battle where every single day I woke up scared to death that I was going to lose it, that I was going to end up hurting somebody, that I was going to end up hurting myself. Um, I didn't want it. I desperately didn't want that. But I was just so scared that I was going to end up losing control um, because of this concussion, because of what, what are going to be the effects of this, you know, a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, like what is going to happen? And so every single day I woke up with this, uh, on the best days, it was still this uneasiness, this like vague uneasiness of like something bad might happen. On the worst days, it was full-fledged panic attack. Wake up in a sweat, you know, with my heart pounding. And so for three years, uh, this went on. And it was it was a long three years. And I can tell you uh, a lot of great things happened within that three-year period. Our daughter was born. But here's the cruelty and the 
just the viciousness of, of a mental health condition, especially anxiety uh, and what I now know uh, were touches of depression as well. I remember moments holding our newborn daughter. Uh, she's five now and she's beautiful. And um, man, she's one of the loves of my life, my little princess. But I remember holding her as a newborn and being scared to death to hold her because I'm like, what if I hurt her? Like, what, what if I do something to hurt her? Like, I remember being scared to death if Jen would leave me home alone with the kids. She knew full well I would never hurt the kids. I knew in my heart I would never hurt the kids. But like, I had this irrational fear that because of this concussion, because of what these other people did, that that was going to be my story as well. And I remember being so scared even to be left alone with my own kids. Um, and it was just crippling. Like, it just robs you. Anxiety and depression robs you of the ability to enjoy anything, to be in the moment. There's no, there's no in the moment. There's no, like, you can physically be present, but you're not present. Your mind is somewhere else. Your mind is working out all the, you know, what if scenarios and what if that happens and what if I do this? Yeah, but, you know, and you're trying to convince yourself and you're just working yourself into circles and it's this like spiral and it seems, seems that there's no way out of it. And, and this, you know, after after a year or so, two years, I don't even remember how long, but I just remember being at Disney one day with my family, right? This is the happiest place on earth, supposedly, right? Disney. Like I got everything I want. I'm married to the woman of my dreams. We've got two healthy kids. We got our boy. You know, I got my son. I got our daughter, you know, our little princess. And I remember being at Disney on vacation, right? Supposed to get away from it all, stress-free. And the whole time we were there, and I don't know that Jen would have even knew at the moment. I don't, I know the kids didn't know it, but the whole time we were there, I was just having panic attacks over and over and over again. And my thoughts were, well, yeah, this is great today, but you know, what if, and I just totally could not enjoy the time. And I remember the thought passing through my mind, like, this is hopeless. Like you're at Disney and you can't get a grip on this. Like, these things are never going to get better. This is just how it is. Like, here's your, here's your life. You know, you, you, you know, you gotta, and I knew I would never take my own life or anything like that. Uh, and my heart goes out to people and, and families of people who, who have done that and people who are considering doing that. And by the way, just side note, if, if that's something you're considering doing, please get help, please reach out. You know, I, but I knew in my situation, I knew I wouldn't do that, but I was still scared. Like, what if I did like against my will somehow, like, what if I did? And I just remember thinking, this is your life sentence. This is what you're going to deal with forever. Um, so get used to it. And um, just that like defeating thought, man, that was, that was one of my low points for sure. And then I, you know, as I, as I progressed through like this three-year period of time, I tried everything, everything. And some of the things I'm going to get to in, in the next episode, uh, practical tips that do help. But unfortunately, it wasn't like, you know, the time 10 years before where I, you know, I even busted out that old program with the cassette tapes and, and started listening to them and started working through the workbook, workbook again. Um, but for whatever reason, it wasn't as simple as it was last time. Uh, it didn't go away quickly like it did last time. It was still there. Um, and looking back now, three years, it is what it is. In the scheme of things, three years is nothing. But when, you, when you're in the middle of something like that, three years is an eternity. Uh, three days is an eternity. Uh, when you're going through something like that. So it was just a really, really tough, difficult time in my life. And that's that's about where I'm going to end for today. But I do want to leave off on a note of hope because here I stand or sit here in, in 2021. And the last time I can remember having a legitimate panic attack was probably about in 2018. So now we're 
we're over three years removed from that and, and life is good. Um, and I know I'm acutely aware of my feelings. I'm acutely aware of when I start to get a little bit anxious, but by the grace of God, things are way better than they were then. I don't know that I can honestly say with 100% certainty that I'll never experience a, a season of anxiety or depression again. But I can tell you, and, and, and again, I'm going to elaborate more on this in the next episode. I learned so much during that three years. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about anxiety and depression, what it is, what it isn't. I learned about mental health and mental illness as a whole. But most importantly, I learned about God. I learned way more about God. And I had always grown up in church. I always grew up as a Christian. I was working for a church during this time in my life. But I, man, I, I, I grew to know God in ways that I had never grown, known God through this. And I will tell you, there were moments where I completely and utterly doubted whether he even existed. Again, as an employee of a church who spoke you know, to our congregation, who led small group ministries, who led outreach projects, <clears throat> the guy who's supposed to you know, have it all together. I remember having these battles in my mind, like, God, do you even exist? Like, if you existed, why would you, you know, why would you allow me to go through something like this? And maybe Christianity is all just made up and like doubts, like serious, serious doubts. So I also want to encourage you, if that's you, like if you are a believer in Christ, but you've questioned your faith because of circumstances in your life, just know that you're not alone. You're not the first one. I mean, we can go back and look at people in the Bible who doubted, uh, who doubted the existence of God, who doubted the power of God, who doubted the goodness of God. Man, those are all things that I experienced as well. And I promise you, you're in good company if that's you. And here's one of the things I learned. God's okay with that. He's okay with you doubting. He's okay with you uh, wrestling with your faith. Um, because if you'll allow him to walk you through it, he will strengthen his relationship, uh, your relationship with him. Uh, he will let you know in ways that you never knew before how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, what a plan he has for you. And even the most horrible things that happen to us in our lives can still be used, as Romans eight twenty eight says, for our good and for his glory. So I will, uh, I'll leave you with that today. Uh, and we'll touch a little bit more in the next episode on, on some more practical tips that if you are struggling with mental illness, particularly anxiety and depression, because that's where I can speak from experience on um, some practical tips that might help you. But above all else, I just want to tell you, keep your head up. The turning point for me was the lowest moment in my anxiety. It was January 22nd. I remember that because it was my parents' anniversary. January 22nd of uh, 2018. I remember waking up that morning like right as I stepped out of bed, it was like Mike Tyson was waiting there for me, you know, anxiety, just punching me in the face, punching me, punching me, punching me. I mean, by the time it was nine o'clock in the morning, I was already felt like I had boxed a 15 round match and was just exhausted mentally. I was exhausted physically. And I remember thinking that day, again, I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't going to kill myself or anything like that. But I remember the thought passed my mind like, gosh, it would be so much better. It would be so nice if I could just turn my brain off, if I could just make this all stop, if I could, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. And so I got through that day. I don't even know how, looking back now, that day was just a blur. I don't even know what I did at work that day. I don't even remember the interactions. I got really good at hiding, by the way. I got really good at putting on a mask before masks were cool because of COVID, right? I would put on this emotional mask, just hide 
behind it so that nobody knew because I didn't want people to know how much I was hurting, how much I was struggling because I thought that made me weak. But I remember getting home that day. I remember going in our bedroom, closing the door. You know, I give Jen a kiss, give the kids a kiss, going in our bedroom, closing the door, getting down on my knees next to our bed and like sticking my head in the pillow and like I don't typically use profanity, so I probably didn't in this moment. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of, where are you, God? Where are you? Do you care? Do you see what I'm going through? Like, do you even care about me right now? I am hurting so bad, and it doesn't seem like you even care. Where are you? And I remember being so, so angry with God. But I know, looking back now at that moment, And there were several turning points, and I'll talk more about a couple, and I know I've already talked about a few today. But for me, that was a huge turning point, was being willing to be totally honest with God and being willing to say, I am not okay, and I am, like, I surrendered. That was a moment, that was one of a few moments in a series of, you know, moments of surrender for me, where it was like, this is way bigger than me. You know, I can't handle this, God. I need you, and if you are real, I need you to show up right now. I need you to be there with me. And uh, so we'll leave off there and I'll pick up there uh, next episode. Um, but just know that uh, that we love you guys. We're praying for you. If you're dealing with some kind of mental health issue, uh, anxiety, depression, or anything else, if it, whether it's you know substance abuse, you know, uh, as a result of a, of a mental illness or a mental struggle, man, know that it's okay to get help. Um, know that we are praying for you. Um, if there's anything we can do to help you, you can always reach out to us. Um, but we love you guys. We're praying for you. We're praying for your marriages. We're praying for your health, physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Uh, we love you guys, and we'll catch up. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that God uses it to bless you and give you hope for a marriage full of love, joy, purpose, and fun. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if there's a topic you'd like us to do a future episode on, please email us at imperfectmarriage23 at gmail.com. That's imperfectmarriage and the numbers 23 at gmail.com. Or you can direct message us on Instagram at imperfect underscore marriage. God bless your marriage and family, and we'll see you next time on Imperfect Marriage.